Welcome to Museums in Strange Places. I'm your host, Hannah Hethman, and this is a podcast for people who love museums, stories, culture, and exploring the world. In this season of the podcast, I'm visiting the museums of Iceland to discover what stories they hold and how they reflect and shape Iceland's unique cultural identity. Today's episode is sponsored by Locatify. And well, and actually, this meat is toxic while fresh. It, <laughs> oh, yum! Yeah, it's it could be fatal for us to eat it while fresh, of course. So, so yeah, we put it through about six months process, where we ferment it, dry it, and then we eat it. Before I share today's story, I have some news. This is the final episode of Museums and Strange Places Season 1, and the last episode about Icelandic museums, at least for now. So, I want to say thank you to everyone who has listened, left amazing reviews, shared with their friends, and reached out to me on Twitter or Instagram to let me know you love the podcast. It means so much, and I can't wait to share Season 2 with you in a few months. To show my appreciation for you, dear listener... I am giving away the many museum postcards I've collected from all over the world. If you want a museum postcard and a handwritten note from me, just share your favorite Museums and Strange Places episode on social media. Then send me a screenshot of the post or a link to it, along with your mailing address. You can reach me on Twitter, Instagram, or by email. I'll put my info in the episode description, and it's also at hhethman.com. That's H-H-E-T-H. M-O-N.com. When I meet people planning a trip to Iceland, they often ask me what's good to eat there. I pause, not wanting to insult this country that I love so much. Well, I say diplomatically, it's probably better to spend your time on money on nature and other cultural activities rather than food. Of course, you can find all kinds of restaurants in Reykjavik, but the traditional food of Iceland requires a bit more bravery than many foreigners possess. Until the mid-20th century, life in Iceland was pretty hard, and without the ability to grow much food on their rocky island, Icelanders had to use every last bit of the fish and animals they could find. Today, the daily diet of Icelanders is pretty normal by outsider standards. But on special holidays, they still break out the sheep's head and sour ram's testicles. And fish jerky is actually a pretty common snack. I recently traveled up the west coast of Iceland to try one of the strangest of Iceland's traditional delicacies. My destination was Bjarnehub, a small family farm at the foot of a mountain, tucked away between the ocean and otherworldly lava fields covered in dark green mounds of moss. Bjarnehup specializes in fermented shark. To find out how and why Icelanders eat haukarp, I visited the one-room shark museum at Bjarnehup, where one of the family members showed me all around, let me see the meat in process, and even taught me how to enjoy a good piece of shark meat. Knowing that I would have to actually try the fermented shark meat, I brought along my friend Rachel for moral support. And you'll hear her voice from time to time in the episode particularly in the moments when we were so engrossed by what we were learning that we forgot the microphone was still running.
Well, my name is Christian Hildebrandsson, and this here is a family museum. My father founded this museum, and yeah, now I'm here. My grandfather was a shark hunter, and well, generations, well, 400 years back, probably with gaps though. <laughs> and when my grandfather stopped hunting sharks, back then he used to live in, in Westfjörður, the peninsula north from here, in an area where, where there were a lot of sharks. But once he stopped, he moved here to this farm, which was much better farming land. And the bay here is so shallow, there's no, there are no sharks for, for many kilometers. But after he moved here, people kept asking him if he had some shark meat, so he would just buy one-on-one every once in a while, prepare it for himself and for others. It just kind of grew into all this. Like, we never, we never <laughs> planned for this. It just sort of happened. Ooh, tell me what kind of things you have here. Let's, let's look around. What's, um, what's the catch of the day, so to speak, in the museum? <laughs> well, this is a shark museum and a cultural museum. Yes, our main thing is the shark meat that we produce, and people get to come here, see how we make it, and get to try it, of course. And then also, we have old stuff in here that has belonged to my family for around 100 years. Yes, it used to be in our basement. <laughs> but like, in this corner there, we have, we have my grandfather's uh, farming tools. In a the corner there are my... Well, great grandfather's building tools that he made himself out of driftwood. Like those tools are around 100 years old. And they're basically older than many trees you see here. <laughs> and over there we have my yeah, grandfather's fishing tools. Yeah, he used to be mainly a fisherman. Wow. This was the boat he used for shark hunting. So cool! It's right here in the in the this like big shed area. Oh yes. <laughs> Besides traditional tools and hunting equipment, the museum has a fascinating collection of relevant natural specimens, including pieces of sandpaper rough shark skin, shark eggs removed from female sharks, bits of polar bear and other mammals eaten by sharks, and other taxidermied and preserved flora and fauna from the region. And is this shark skin? Yes, oh, it it's pricking. Huh. Wow. Yeah, all those spikes turn in the same direction, and this makes for better hydrodynamic. Mm. So if you were to brush against a shark, it would be really painful, right? Well, this if you would brush it the wrong way. Yeah, the wrong way. Oh. I guess so it's kind of a defense mechanism also. Well... I guess they don't really need a defense mechanism. <laughs> yeah, they are on top of food chain. Yeah, of course. But but bacteria are not able to stay on, mm. on shark skin. Yeah. And it's very hard for parasites. Yeah. So yeah. this picture here, are these eggs? Yes, they are. But 380, 380 in one female. Oh, so, so they're, those are found in the female? Yes. Wow. Oh. Just not fertilized. Wow, they're really big. They're pretty big too. Yeah. The 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 shark itself. Yeah. Oh wow! He's just shown us a, a box of shark, shark eggs. Whoa! That are fermented. I guess you can't eat these. 
I don't intend to find <laughs> Oh, he has these mason jars just full of eggs. Like there's various stages of eggs. Christian shows me a video explaining how they process the shark meat. I've been wondering about shark meat for a few years now, curious if it's actually something locals eat, or if it's just a traditional food brought out to thrill tourists. And so today, do Icelanders still really eat any shark? Is this a thing? Yes, like, like the, the demand is constantly growing. And it's, it's mainly because we are making this more ava available. Like we are selling it to stores and, and other places, like maybe 30 years ago. The only way to get your hands on this was to know someone who was doing this in his extra time. Shark doesn't seem like a particularly good source of food. Why, are Iceland, why have Icelanders been eating shark and hunting shark for hundreds of years? Well, for centuries, we were hunting it for the liver to make oil out of it and then export it to major cities in Europe who used it as a streetlight. And well, and actually this meat is toxic while fresh. <laughs> it, oh, yum. Yeah, it's, it could be fatal for us to eat it while fresh, of course. So yeah, we put it through about six months process where we ferment it, dry it, and then we eat it. And this is a 400 year old tradition here in Iceland. And was it something that people like actually ate on a regular basis or more like kind of special occasions just to supplement the diet? It was, yeah, more like a food supplement. Like it's this meat is actually so rich of special proteins and omega-3 that we cannot eat this as a meal. Our body wouldn't handle that quantity. It's basically too healthy. <laughs> and so people would not eat it like a big steak, but well, they would put it in skir and oatmeal. And... Well, by eating this meal, it all, uh, eating this shark meat, it also helps your digestion. Okay. So people would often eat it after a meal, especially after they ate sour food. Okay, this is so funny that you said it's in Skier because Siggy's is the brand that sells Skier in the US. It's like Icelandic company. And they did an April Fool's joke where they were like, we're now serving Haukarl Skier with fresh, delicious chunks of Haukarl swimming in the Skier. And everyone's like, that's so funny and disgusting. But you're like, no, that was, that was, that was true. We, we did that. It's true, yes. <laughs> I'm not going to lie, that sounds pretty bad. <laughs> but I guess if you're, if it's like survival, you know, you're not, it's not like you have a lot of fresh veggies to alternatives here in Iceland. Yeah, correct. Like, like we actually have like a 200 year gap between when people started to hunt the shark until they started to eat it. Like we have no idea how people came up with this method of, of preparing it. Wow. Like now we know the, the science behind this, but back then they had no idea. Like it's, it's relying on the co-work ups of, of the bacteria and stuff. I wonder if it was like an accident. I mean, clearly someone figured out it was toxic and I'm guessing they figured it out like yeah, the, the hard way, but. Yes, probably the hard way. Maybe they got hungry and realized there's some leftover somewhere sitting somewhere fermenting on its own and tried it, but who knows? Yeah, like I imagine a, a starvation, a desperation can teach a person many things. Yeah. Necessity is the mother of, I guess, food processes, maybe? Maybe. Yeah. I want to take a quick aside here to tell you about Locatify, who have generously sponsored this episode. Locatify is an Icelandic software company specializing in mobile apps that use location technologies for immersive audio guides, treasure hunt games, augmented reality, and indoor GPS for museums all over the world. 
sponsorship helps me pay for the equipment and software I need to make this podcast. So please swing by Locatify's website, locatify.com, to check out their award-winning products and thank them for supporting museums in strange places. So tell me more about this process. Like how, like you said, it's, it's, it's a six months. What actually happens to the shark? Where does it get fermented? Well, first I, I'd like to mention, well, every, every single shark that we use and I have for like last 60, 60 plus years gives an accidental bycatch. We don't hunt them ourselves. Whenever the family gets a call that a fishing ship has come into the Reykjavik Harbor with a shark, they head down with a small trailer to pick it up. When I visited, the trailer was sitting next to the driveway with the carcasses of three huge sharks, heavy, unusable livers already removed before the trip back to the farm. The number of sharks they get through bycatch varies each year. Some winters, they may get around 100 or more, but this year has been pretty slow, with less than half that number showing up in the fishing nets. Christian tells me that one of the reasons for the dip this year is simply that one of the biggest boats they usually buy from has been up on the dry docks for repairs over the winter. We're too late in the year to see how these three sharks would be cut up and packed for fermentation. Cold weather is critical to get just the right taste and texture so any sharks caught during the warmer season will go into a huge freezer on the property until it's cold enough to begin the fermenting process. We bring the whole shark here, cut it up to about 10 kilo slices, put it in wooden boxes, and leave it inside a storage house for for circa six weeks, where it's four months. And over that time, the, the bacteria in the meat are breaking down the toxics. And then we... After the fermentation, we hang it up to dry for up to four months. After that, it's ready to eat. (laughs) So it's kind of the drying process, I guess, is similar to what people have been doing with fish for a long time here. Yes, it's it's maybe, well, the source of it, how they came up with the idea. Well, this shark that we use is called a Greenland shark, and it's the only native shark to Iceland. It basically lives between Canada and Norway and maybe far south to Scotland. But there are maybe 10 or 15 other species that sometimes go this far north. Mm-hmm. But, like, I have no idea how to use them. <laughs> so you don't, if, if, they, if they end up in the nets, they don't, uh, they don't get made into fermented shark? No. <laughs> Since all sharks are, like, somewhat toxic while fresh, uh-huh. because they don't have a... A urea system. But the Greenland shark is the most toxic one of them all, <laughs> since its urine has additional antifreeze for it. It has antifreeze. The shark has antifreeze yes. in it. That's amazing. Like the coldest this shark has ever been recorded in is minus 1.7 degrees Celsius. Below freezing. Yes. Wow. But it has antifreeze. <laughs> oh, that's great. And so I guess if you get these other sharks, you don't want to have the process off and accidentally poison someone. Oops. Yes, oops. <laughs> it, w- it would be very bad for business. Yeah. Okay, and then you guys distribute it then to whoever needs it. Yes, we sell it to supermarkets, flea markets, restaurants, and fish markets, so on. And there are also some others that are, are doing this. But we are the way biggest ones. And... 
since we are the biggest in Iceland, and Iceland is the only country that does this, I like to say it. We're the biggest in the world. <laughs> Wow, we're here at the biggest uh, Greenlandic shark processing farm in the world. <laughs> Christian is a walking encyclopedia of the Greenland shark, and he shares with me some fascinating facts about this crazy animal. The Greenland shark is one of the largest sharks in the world. Perhaps that's also because it has one of the longest lifespans of any vertebrae. It's believed to live up to 500 years. That means there could be sharks swimming around Iceland that were alive during the Reformation. Over the course of their long lives, Greenland sharks can grow to be 21 feet or 6.4 meters long and weigh over a ton. Or they could live longer and weigh more. We don't actually know much about them. And the mystery is due in part to the fact that they live about one kilometer below the ocean surface. Despite being in the terrifyingly named category of sleeper shark, it's believed that the Greenland shark doesn't hunt. It mostly lives on fish and scavenges larger meals, like the remains of polar bears. This here is skin of a polar bear. No. No. I gotta like take pictures. Those bones followed the skin and showed it was the polar bear's leg. Um, where do you guys do the, the processing on the farm? Well, the drying house is just here around the corner. Can, and we, can we go see it? Of course. Visitors are welcome to yes. check it out. Let's go see it. Before we go, would you like to try the shark meat? <laughs> I, think, I think we should. Yeah, we, we have to try it. I've never tried it. I'm technically a vegetarian, but... Um, <sighs> do you eat this? Pretty much every, yeah, pretty much every day. I don't know if I can. <laughs> it looks so bad. <laughs> it's All a, right. It's a good beginner's trick to combine it with the rye bread. Okay. The bread takes away the strongest flavor. It's like has been a tradition for, for some centuries to combine those two together. The bread takes, yeah, takes away the strongest flavor. It's, it's a good beginner's trick. Okay. Even the smell is... Yeah, it's, I'm, I'm not... Mm. Yeah, I can... I promise you that it tastes better than it smells. No one likes the smell, not even me. Although it's up to you if you're going to like the taste or not. Okay, here I go. <laughs> yeah, it's not so bad. Yeah? Okay, so bad. <laughs> 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 mm. Do you chew it or do you just swallow? Oh, you chew it. The longer you chew it, the stronger it gets. Mm -hmm. That's the best part. So this is definitely not toxic. Hopefully okay. not. Okay. <laughs> I would get bread right away. I like it. It's like a almost cheesy, like a strong cheese. You know, from that fermented, moldy taste. Yes. Which doesn't sound good, but <laughs> yeah, I could eat that okay. every day. All right. It's <laughs> like I've seen people from basically all around the globe t come here and try it. And it's, it's so curious to see what different culture and nationalities, mm -hmm. different if people are going to like it or not. Like, for example, people from, from mainland of Europe that have those strong cheeses, they often love this. 
Then we have people like, for example, from Britain and Norway, someone who have nothing that this reminds them of. So they don't like it. Then we have the in-betweeners, like people from US, Canada, and Australia that, well, they're just so excited to try this that uh -huh. the, the taste does not matter. Yeah. It's just the experience. Yeah, that we, we ate shark. I ate shark. So I did it for science <laughs> and art. Can you get um, good shark meat and bad shark meat? Like oh, yes. We have to try every single piece that we make. Just because there are so many di many different factors that, that play in the end outcome that, of course, some of it is going to turn out bad. So we have to filter that out. All right. Let's, uh, let's go see where the magic happens. Let's, let's go. <laughs> great. You're a great tour guide. <laughs> yeah. yeah. I've basically been, been, been a tour guide since I was a six years old. <laughs> And this thing here, well, this building that we are constructing is a soon-to-be-a-restaurant. Oh. Yeah, we are expanding. To be even bigger than already the biggest shark processor in Iceland. Oh yes, we're gonna be the <laughs> we're gonna be the biggest restaurant in Helgavelsveit. <laughs> I think it is the only one, right? Yes, it is. <laughs> Yeah, and there's a funny thing about this, about this drying house. Like, people that come here find this so fascinating, but to us it's so normal. I remember when I was a kid, when we were starting, and people were asking if they could come and uh, go and see the drying house. We were just like, yes, yeah, sure, <laughs> but it's nothing interesting, it's just meat hanging there. They were all like, oh my god, there's meat hanging there. <clears throat> we need to check it out. What's, um, what's interesting for me is, so I grew up in, um, in Maryland, and Maryland historically has been a, a tobacco uh, area. And so everywhere you go are these big barns where they hang the tobacco. And coming here right now, this is exactly what it looks like. Oh, really? Like the, the shed's a different shape, but like from here, it just looks like tobacco hanging up. <laughs> uh, so to me, I'm like, oh, that's really, really familiar, you know, out the drying stuff. Oh, we got chickens under there. Yes. <laughs> Hi, chickens. <laughs> oh, what am I seeing here? <laughs> this is where the magic happens. <laughs> it's a little pungent. <laughs> yeah, like, well, it might be not, maybe it's not wise to walk into the building, but... <laughs> But it smells less outside. Yeah, yeah. I tried to go in and, and talk to the chickens, and uh, <laughs> I got a strong whiff. So it all hangs up here. So is this just kind of rotates through? Do you have it like a special order that you know what what's up when and you take it down? Yeah, like we. Yeah, we know when we put put this up, and, and like I can see by the color of it, it's just about to be ready. Okay. So you come and check on it. So it's not like a precise, do you do it more by like the, what it looks like or by exact days? No, not by exact dates since like the weather plays so mm. a big role and well, most of the 
things you need to learn about Iceland never depend on the weather. <laughs> We are here in the north side of Snæfellsnes, right between Stekkishólmur and Grundafjörður, the two, two settlements. And we are just here in, on a farm well, where it's quite, quite and peaceful. It was one of the first uh, places in Iceland to be established. It's even in, our, in one of our, our Icelandic sagas that describes when the settler comes here. The settler here, his name was uh, Bjarni Östreini, okay. uh, Björn Östreini, I meant. And so he names, well, it's basically uh, Björn the East. Mm-hmm. Could mean that he went uh, to uh, what is now Rus- Russia to be a Viking. Well, he he came here after his, his father was supposed to be arrested in Norway. <laughs> his father fled fled to Ireland, where he became a petty king. And uh, Björn came here, named this place, well, basically Björn's uh, Harbor. Maybe a bit egoistic. <laughs> <laughs> and, well, his sister is more, well, well-known. Auður Djúbuga. Yeah, the, the one who, the, yeah, probably the most famous female settler. Yes. It's kind of cool. What a, what a history. And I mean, what is it like to grow up here? You've got mountains and water. I mean, literally you have mountains on all four sides. Everywhere you turn, I'm turning, I'm turning, and there's mountains. And right now they're like snow-capped. Is it like, I mean, it's beautiful to us as like visitors, but what, what's it like to grow up here? Okay, I get this question often, and I have no idea how to answer it because <laughs> it's, this is normal to me. Because you didn't grow up anywhere else. <laughs> yeah, and, and like, well, I've, I've lived elsewhere for, for college for a short time. And, and then I noticed I, I needed to, like, look out the window and see some view every, every now and then. I needed to see, at least just see the ocean. Just if it was this tiny corner, I needed to see it. Yeah. Did you, did you go to Reykjavik for college? Yes. It's too big of a city for you? Oh, yes. <laughs> like... All the years I lived there, I, I knew I was never going to end there. Yeah. Christian's deep connection to the landscape of his home reminds me of a famous story from the Icelandic sagas, the story of Gunnar of Hlíðarendi. Gunnar is a famous warrior and well-to-do farmer, but after running afoul of the law, he's sentenced to three years of exile. During those three years, anyone can kill him if he stays in Iceland. But since Gunnar is rich, he can just go to Norway for a few years, increase his reputation by serving the king, and come back richer than before. However, in one of the most famous scenes in all the sagas, as he's riding towards his boat, his horse stumbles. He's forced to jump from the saddle, landing with a perfect view of his beloved farm. After waxing poetic on the beauty of the hillside, Gunnar decides to turn his horse around and stay in Iceland even though it means certain death. He just can't bear to live without that view. I asked Christian if maybe he has inherited his love of the land from the great saga characters. Yes, I think I can relate to that. <laughs> Although hopefully I never get exiled. 
Thanks for joining me on this adventure as I explore Iceland's many museums and get to know the fascinating people who run them. Today's episode was sponsored by Locatify. The song in this episode is by Bagaluter. You can find more of Bagaluter's music, see photos of the museum, and learn more about Greenland sharks on my website, hefman.com. Don't unsubscribe from museums in strange places. This may be the last episode of season one, but I've already recorded season two of the podcast. And in just a few months, I'll take you on an auditory journey through the museums of a completely new place. Oh, and make sure you get your handwritten museum postcard by sharing your favorite Museums and Strange Places episode on social media and sending me a link or screenshot of the post along with your mailing address. 